Think back 15 years to 2005. The iPhone is two years away. The iPad, five years away. The Apple of 2005 is a company with a hit product, the iPod. Introduced a little more than three years earlier, the iPod has become the most popular tech product of the time. People who would never have bought an Apple product before are buying and loving their iPods. They're coming into Apple retail stores and buying iPods and iPod minis, and maybe, just maybe, noticing that Apple makes computers too. And if they love their iPods so much, maybe they should give Apple's computers a look. This was called the iPod halo effect, and it was definitely real. Apple's reputation among the general public had been as a maker of weird, non-standard, incompatible computers. But the iPod changed that. It changed how people viewed Apple. And Apple wanted to capitalize on that by making it as easy as possible for all of those owners of Windows PCs who loved their iPods to switch to the Mac. Switching. That's what they called it. Apple had a whole ad campaign about appealing to switchers. I have a Windows guy who's changed the Macintosh, yeah. Everything about it was just so much simpler than what I was used to, having used Windows for so long. How did I become a switcher? Because I got tired of just trying to make my computer work. I had a PC and it never worked. Get out of your Windows world. It's not worth it. I'll never go back. Nobody does that in the PC world. That's why I switched to Apple. I was writing paper on the PC and it was like bleep, 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 bleep. And then, like, half of my paper was gone. And I was like, hmm? It devoured. My paper was really good paper. And then I had to write it again, and I had to do it fast, so it wasn't as good. It's kind of a bummer. But what could make it easier for mid-2000s consumers who were in love with their iPods to make the switch? What if Apple made the cheapest Mac ever, one that didn't include a display or even come with a keyboard or mouse? For $499, you could walk away from an Apple store with a cute little Mac in a cute little box. Go home, unplug your PC, and plug your keyboard, mouse, and display into a new Mac. It would be easy and cheap to switch. Those dreams of capturing switchers would fade away quickly, but that little Mac, the Mac Mini, would stick around much longer than anyone ever expected. It's 20 Macs for 2020. I'm Jason Snell. This is number 14, the Mac Mini. It's Macworld Expo, January 2005. And during his keynote, Steve Jobs introduces Mac OS X Tiger, a new version of iLife, and the first-generation iPod Shuffle, you know, the one that looked like a stick of gum. But for Mac users, the big news was the introduction of the first Mac to cost less than $500. Why doesn't Apple offer a stripped-down Mac that is more affordable? I wish I had a nickel for every time somebody asked me that. They want a Mac that's stripped down, no display, maybe no keyboard and mouse, but they have something else in mind. And so today, we think we know what they have in mind, and we're introducing it. It's called the Mac Mini. We think people understood the iPod Mini, and we think they're going to understand the Mac Mini just as well. It's a new member of the Mac family. It's very, very tiny. When the Mac Mini got introduced, we all freaked out. Here's Stephen Hackett. There's like this tiny little computer that had a G4 in it and had a slot load optical drive in it and was so inexpensive, just $499, 
it really blew our hair back. And I remember, oh, I got to like go to Apple's website and see it. Here's Christina Warren. I just remember being really impressed with the design. And it, again, I think it's one of those where Apple doesn't get the credit that it sometimes deserves for genuinely being the first that I can really recall in the industry to come up with this small form factor. Nobody was doing anything like what the original Mac Mini was. This is Andy Anatko. The thing that still breaks my heart a little about Macs is that the, 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 the buy-in is still too high. Like the minimum buy-in to get into the Mac platform is still higher than it ought to be. It's not because necessarily that a MacBook or an iMac is overpriced. It's just that they don't have anything that is less expensive than the high end of the mid-range would be in Windows. For $400 to $500, you can get a very, very decent desktop solution that runs Windows. And the Mac Mini really does run with that flag. The Mac Mini is BYODKM. Bring your own display, keyboard, and mount. We supply the computer, you supply the rest. So you can take Mac Mini and you can hook it up to, let's say, our 20-inch cinema display. But the great thing about Mac Mini is you can hook it up to any industry standard display, keyboard, and mouse. A lot of people already have a display and a USB keyboard and mouse. And we want to price this Mac so that people that are you know, thinking of switching will have no more excuses. Yes, Apple really did expect PC users to switch to the Mac by disconnecting their Dells and popping Mac minis in their places. Apple even included a DVI to VGA adapter in the box so you could quickly attach that Mac mini to a PC standard monitor. There's sort of a funny jab in the keynote where, you know, it's the bring your own display keyboard and mouse, but it's just USB, so it's not PS2, which was really popular on PC keyboards and mice at this time. And so it's like, he keeps having to say, like, industry standard, you know, <laughs> computer, uh, mouse, or keyboard. It's just kind of a funny, it's not really addressed, but if you know the context, it's definitely there. And he's like, oh, well, you can just buy a, a cinema display with it, which I think costs more than the computer did. Uh, <laughs> it's like, let me buy this $1,000 monitor for my $500 computer. Now, I'm not going to say that the original Mac Mini wasn't exciting. It was. We put it on the cover of Macworld with the headline, the $499 Mac. But it also lacked a bunch of features that should have been standard. If you wanted a decent amount of RAM, that was a $75 or $425 upgrade. A larger hard drive, $50 extra. Bluetooth, $50. Wi-Fi, $79. If you wanted to write DVDs with a SuperDrive, $100. As Macworld's story said at the time, throw in some of these upgrades and that $499 computer can become a $1,203 computer very quickly. We couldn't recommend that people buy the base model. And I spent the better part of a year writing upgrade guides for Macworld, all of which involved cracking that thing open with a putty knife. Here's Dan Morin. It was their attempt to convert PC users and say, hey, you've got a monitor and a keyboard and a mouse. Plug them in. It'll work fine. And just use all that stuff. It's cheap. And then they quickly realized, well, we can't make it that cheap. We've got to make it more expensive. The next year, Apple came out with a $599 model with Intel processors. It was more expensive, but the specs were much better. Other than maybe that core solo processor? The first Intel Mac Mini was just a a single core instead of the core duos and core two duos that everybody else got. It was the only single core Intel Mac ever, and that means it was basically the last single core Mac ever sold. It's not great. So what about Apple's goal of creating a Mac for switchers? 
I'm sure that some people bought the Mac Mini and switched from PC to Mac. But for the most part, that's not what ended up happening. Not that there weren't switchers, but the Mac Mini turned out not to be the ideal vehicle for most of them. And now if people switch, they just buy a MacBook Air, right? Because most people just get notebooks. The iMac and the iBook were more appealing systems. I think most PC users in the market for a new computer were happy to get rid of their whole old PC, including display, keyboard, and mouse, and replace it all with something better. What the Mac Mini did turn out to be was a sort of Mac of all trades. Mac users bought them as second or third computers, used them as servers, or installed them in home theaters. The Mac Mini's become this like super cool enthusiast level thing, and I think they've reflected that in the the recent updates to it, where it's become much more powerful. But it is it is really interesting, like that it has changed so much from what Apple set it out to be. Here's James Thompson. A lot of people, I think, like me, uh, bought them because they really wanted them to be media centers. Before the days of smart TVs and streaming boxes, if you wanted to play digital content on your TV, you needed to hook up a computer to it. I had one on my TV stand for a long time, working as sort of a media center and a backup server and all that. And I love it's so compact. Uh, It's a very powerful little machine, Uh, especially once they added like an HDMI port. It was so much nicer to be able to connect it to your TV. I bought it and it remained plugged into my TV for 10 years. I think it was the longest lived of all of my Macs, and it was running pretty much 24-7 for all of that time. The dawn of the Apple TV and other set-top boxes ended up wiping out the need to hook up a Mac to a TV. But the Mac Mini soldiers on. Because if it's used for a million different niche cases, losing a few of them along the way doesn't really matter. More just spring up. My first Mac Mini was an email server and served databases. My current one, more of a file server with a little bit of web serving involved. And I'm even using it to record this podcast right now because my other Mac is testing macOS Big Sur. Here's Shelley Brisbane. When the Mac Mini became little in space gray, it became small enough that you could physically take it and attach it to the back of a monitor. And so that's, at my current workplace, how intern Macs are configured. They're Mac minis, and they've just stuck them to the backs of monitors, which is just such a great idea, and I never would have even thought of it. Basically, the Mac mini has settled into a groove. While it has never really been a priority for Apple, it's the Mac that just keeps on ticking. Every few years, Apple gives it a little bit of a tweak. It stripped out the optical drive at one point. Most recently, it made it space gray and added some modern ports on the back. It's a much better equipped computer now, although it also starts at a much bigger price, $799, which is still the cheapest current Mac, just not by much. It's become one of the prime computers for sort of Mac hobbyist users, people who don't want to spend the scratch on a Mac Pro, but still want somewhat of a a versatile power to use with it, like whether it's like rack mounting it or putting it in your entertainment center or just having it as like a separate machine on your desk. It actually is fairly versatile for a computer. And I'm amazed that Apple has kept it around this long and continually updated it, even if they go for very long stretches sometimes without touching the thing. Here's John Gruber. Is it arguably the humblest Mac ever made? The one that's the least acclaimed, even design wise in every aspect, design, price. It's just a quiet little fellow who just uh, does the work. Here's a small little square Mac. You put it on your desk. It stays out of the way. It's quiet. You plug what you need into it, and there you go. And it's probably good enough for an awful lot of needs. And now the Mac Mini has another claim to fame. In the summer of 2020, Apple announced it's going to begin releasing Macs that are powered by Apple-designed processors. In order to prime the pump, Apple has provided app developers with a special test system. 
Although it's not available to the general public and is based on a two-year-old chip technology, it's technically the first Apple Silicon Mac. It's a Mac Mini. This has been 20 Macs for 2020. It was written by me, Jason Snell. Thanks to Stephen Hackett, Andy Anaiko, Dan Morin, Shelley Brisbane, James Thompson, Christina Warren, and John Gruber. Brian Hamilton provided some post-production help. I'll be back next week with number 13.